You're listening to NPR, Nitwits Producing Radio. Hello and welcome to the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together every other week and recap the Italian Magical Girl series Winks Club. I'm Brendan, fairy of the Surging Sea. And I'm Tess, fairy of the Rolling Stones. Today we are watching Fate the Winks Saga, Season 1, Episode 3, Heavy Mortal Hopes. This episode was released with the rest of the season on January 22nd, 2021. The episode was directed by Hannah Quinn and written by Victoria Botta. The title is a quote from To the Rose Upon the Root of Time, which is another Yeats poem. The stanza being quoted is, Come near, come near, come near, ah, leave me still, a little space for the rose breath to fill. Lest I no more hear common things that crave, the weak worm hiding down in its small cave, the field mouse running by me in the grass, and heavy mortal hopes that toil and pass. Okay. I do like the consistent usage of Yeats references, and I will go ahead and tell you that all six episode titles are either quotes from specific works, personal quotes attributed to him, as was the case last episode, or, you know, it all revolves around his poetry. You'd think he was the guy who wrote the series. Well, he was a, a very famous Irish poet who did a lot of stuff involving fairies. Ah, yes. Ireland. Where the show is shot and ostensibly set. Brendan, no. It's set in Solaria. I'm wondering if they're going to keep up the references in season two's titles. I would certainly hope so. Or uh, they move to a different Irish author. Let's just hope it's not James Joyce. If it's James Joyce, I'm quitting this podcast. I forgot to put out the call for questions because we were not sure if we were going to be recording today, but we are. So we're just going to get right into the episode summary. So, uh, as with every episode, we begin with a cold open where we are picking up right from last episode's action. And Bloom has those cloudy white oracle style eyes. Uh, As you may remember... Uh, when she opened herself up to magic in general, this is kind of like the main consequence that we're experiencing, is this vision. So the vision that Bloom has is, like, it's obviously a hospital, because there's, like, a heart monitor going off, there's a doctor, and there is a baby crying. And then... um, a woman leans into frame and she's a middle-aged woman with blonde hair. And she says, when the time comes, find me. Honest to God, I thought this was just Dowling. No, this is a different middle-aged woman. Like, they look exactly the same, right? Um, when, when you see them standing together, no, they do not. They do look similar, though, because they are middle-aged women from the UK. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
This character has her hair pulled back into like a really severe ponytail, and Dowling has a more casual kind of updo that is still oh. refined. Dowling has school, like school marm hair, and this woman <laughs> has more like a military style ponytail. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, Aisha snaps Bloom out of this vision, and uh, Aisha asks, you know, what happened in there. And Bloom tells her that she thinks she just saw the fairy who left her in the human world. And that's where we get the title card. Uh, so since since Tess is eating dinner, I'm going to go ahead and take this uh, next little section note as well. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we go back to Bloom and Aisha, and they're walking down one of the hallways that we've seen before. And this one looks like it's, you know, a bunch of graduating class portraits, basically. Or, you know, various alumni photos. And Bloom is trying to find that woman she saw in her dream. Uh, She thinks that she's going to find this fairy in one of those pictures because a fairy would have to be, in her logic, relatively powerful to implant a memory in the mind of a newborn that can be re-triggered. And... When she asks Aisha to confirm that, you know, powerful fairies come through uh, Althea, Aisha says that it's it's mostly a side effect. It's not really the stated goal. Althea's official policy is that they screen for potential, not raw natural power. But I, I guess it makes sense that if you have high potential and you're trained well, you're going to end up being a particularly powerful magic user, you know? Ask that to any gifted kid in the public schooling system. <laughs> oh, yikes. Uh, Bloom also says that she knows that this woman is too old logically to be her mother because she looks like she's in her... I don't know. I would say mid to late 50s. So even 14 years ago... 14. Even 16 years ago, too old to be Bloom's mother. But... um. At the very least, a former student might know who that woman is. Uh, And Aisha suggests that they ask Tara if her dad has any yearbooks that they can look through. But they'll need to do that uh, later because they're currently late for class. Man, Tara's dad must have been working there a while. If he started right after he graduated. It's entirely possible. And we don't know how long fairies live. I mean, for all we know, Dowling and company could be over 100 and just look like they're middle-aged humans, you know? Right. All right. So we're in the specialist yard now. We'll get back to the class a little later. And Silva is currently using a staff as a cane as he's wandering through the sparring matches, providing commentary on what he sees. And you can... Very clearly see, he's not doing too hot. (laughs) No, he's very visibly in pain and leaning into the staff quite a bit. So he can, you know, move around. Like, we have an aerial shot of a bunch of people sparring. Which I guess makes sense because seeing them being taught how to fight would be a little boring. I do wish we we did at least get to see them doing, you know, the other things that a soldier needs to know, like classes on like military history or strategy or something. 
How to clean a gun, I don't know. I don't think they have guns in the other world. You've How never to clean s- a sword. Fuck you. Weapon maintenance, that's a valuable skill. There we go. Rudimentary blacksmithing. <laughs> One classroom just full of anvils. Sky and Riven are once again paired off, and Riven manages to knock Sky down with a kick to the chest. Probably because Sky is distracted by the fact that his <laughs> father figure is turning into a freaking vampire. Yeah, um This is kind of gonna be Sky's main motivation this episode is the fact that Silva is more or less dying. Riven helps Sky back up, and Sky asks if Silva seems like he's been getting worse lately. And here's where it's confirmed that a week has passed since the events of last episode. So Silva's been fighting this thing off the entire time. The boys walk up to Stella, who is lurking over on the side, (laughs) sitting down on a bench. And Sky asks her opinion. I was curious why Stella wasn't in class, but it, it could just be that she has an open period right now. She's a, she's only a second year, but who knows? I don't know, being the heir to the throne of Solaria has gotta have some perks. Stella was clearly not listening, and when Skye asks her opinion on Silva, she says he looks fine. And Riven sarcastically calls her Dr. Stella and commends her on the very lazy diagnosis. Stella asks if they'll be hanging out before our party that later that night. But Sky is distracted by Silva's condition. Bonitis. <laughs> Glamour cancer. Ah, uh, ooh, my bones. <laughs> no, that's what I have. The seasons are changing. My knees hurt. I am an old man. Yeah, tell that to my hip. I'm on tonight and my hips don't lie. It's like... Yeah, my hips, they, my hips go pop and it's starting to feel real bad. This is when we learned the Zanvac he's been taking is only managing his symptoms. This is essentially hospice right now. It's a lot like taking cold medicine when you have the flu. It's only managing, you know, the runny nose and the sore throat. It's not actually doing anything to fight off the virus. And he won't be healed until the burned one that infected him is destroyed. So it does seem like we're operating on, you know, some vampire movies do this, where if you can kill the vampire who turned you, you'll be free. Oh, real quick, Stella's outfit is super cute real, right here. Yeah, um, instead of orange, like in the cartoon, Stella has a propensity for pinks instead. And her actress actually is, it's going to sound weird to say this, but her actress has a skin tone that can carry pink fairly well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because Especially because she seems to favor like more washed out, dusky pink or um, like... I also like that she's never in, like, straight-up neon baby pink. It's always, like, a very soft pastel or a more muted shade. Stella reassures Skye that there are squads looking for that burned one, because having a vampire lose is kind of bad. I like that burned ones are variously vampires and zombies. 
Zompires. Vanpy. <laughs> and with that, Stella leaves because she has to go to class. Oh, so she she is in school. Uh, she, er, of course she is. They all are. That's the <laughs> point of the show, Brendan. <laughs> so she does have class. She was just dragging her feet. Or maybe this was like before she had to go and she just wanted to talk to Skye. Yeah, we don't know if this is perfectly in line with the last scenes. Because, you know, shows like to do this kind of vague chronology where things could theoretically be happening at the same time. She gives Skye a peck on the cheek and leaves. And Riven! Ha <laughs> Riven! <laughs> he's so... He's such a jackass. He's smarmy. He makes obscene guesses as to why Sky started things back up with Stella, so maybe they're dating again? I believe that this confirms that yes, Sky and Stella have gotten back together sometime over this last week. And if you want to know what Riven said, I don't know, watch the friggin' show. Yeah, we're not we're not repeating that. We don't need to. This is an all-ages podcast, theoretically. I put bleeps in. <laughs> it's family-friendly. <laughs> you can listen to this around your mom. Sort of. <laughs> uh, and Sky does what we all want to do, pushes Riven off the bench. Riven takes a softer stance and says he can see how Silva's infection is bothering Sky. And says he's here if he wants to talk. But Sky says that they'll be talking later before going to speak to Silva. I like that Riven is trying to make an effort to be supportive, even though it's really obvious that doesn't come naturally to him. He's uh, trying. The novelization for this episode in particular is very interesting because it says a lot of the quiet parts out loud. Like, um, the beginning cold opening scene, like, it confirms that, like, like, um, it sounds like, uh, the, uh, actual human Bloom, who our main character replaced, it seems like she might have been not a stillbirth, but a critical, like, a critical newborn. Do you know what I mean? That was confirmed earlier. Uh, yeah, but it, it again, they said the quiet part out loud. Like, the, the doctors are operating on her because of her heart defect. And that and after they lose her, that's when Rosalind swaps Fairy Bloom out for the unfortunate child. And we also get a lot of Sky's point of view and just how much Silva being this critically injured, like, is wrecking him. And also how Riven is not an emotional kind of person. So he's making genuine efforts when he's reaching out to Sky and trying to help. Unfortunately, he takes uh, Sky's reactions to Sky not being interested in Riven helping him. Uh, but that's kind of a more. That's part of the character arc that we don't see in the TV series. Apparently, Riven thinks that Sky pities him. And that's why they hang out? I need to read this friggin' book. I'll lend it to you when you come over. Hooray! 
So we we pivot from the specialist class back to the class that Bloom and Aisha were talking about, and Dowling is teaching it because we don't want to have to hire more actors to be faculty. It, interestingly enough, Alfia has almost the exact same amount of teachers it does as in the cartoon. For almost the exact same reason. Huh. So the assignment that Dowling's given out seems to be um, practicing with your element and the things that it's like she's specifically giving everybody a targeted lesson for the thing that gives them the the most trouble with their particular magic. You know what I mean? Right. Like she's given them specific. Um, it's almost like she's given them a review and said, "This is a problem that you're going to want to learn to push past, and I'm going to help you do that." You know what I mean? Tara gives too much. Yeah, that's our first. That's the first thing we see is, um, so Tara grows a dandelion from a little flower pot in front of her. And Dowling tells her to just feel the, like the, the subtle energy coming off of the flower, like, like the scent, the pheromones and the way it reacts to things. And we watch the dandelion like bloom it turn, you know, the big yellow face, and then it goes to um, seed stage where it's the big puffball, but then all of the seeds blow away and it dies because Tara has given too much. Musa jokes that too much as a whole is kind of Tara's thing. And Dowling turns on her and says that Musa can feel that because she's basically like, a microphone on a mountaintop. She's picking up every single thing around her because she doesn't know how to focus. Ain't that a damn mood. Dowling challenges Musa to focus on one emotion in one direction. Uh, we're, we're not really given an explanation on how Musa accomplishes this, but it, she seems to successfully do what was asked. Musa, you have trouble focusing. What I need you to do is focus. You did it. Well, there's also a point where uh, Dowling like taps her on top of the head, and that might be Dowling giving her like an assist, since Dowling's a mind fairy too. So maybe that's where that's coming from. Maybe. So Bloom has a like little, like a little pile of uh, kindling, like a campfire, basically set up in front of her. And the challenge that Dowling gives her is to light just one piece of kindling and not the whole thing. Somebody complains that it has to be a trick assignment. Yes, okay. Okay, so before... uh, So Bloom's got a little campfire in front of her, basically. uh, Just the pile of wood. And she complains that it has to be a trick assignment. Because what Dowling wants her to do is light one stick and not the entire bundle. Because Bloom's biggest problem is control, which we've seen quite a few times. Uh, So Bloom focuses, and she's able to light light just one piece of kindling. Stop thinking with your stupid human logic, Bloom. So um, while Dowling walks around... I don't know why she walks around back, because Aisha is sitting right next to Bloom, but I guess it's because we need to be able to see 
what Beatrix is up to behind them. And it looks like Beatrix is doing some stuff with electromagnetism. I think she's levitating a magnet or a paperclip or something. You know what I mean? To me, it looked like she was doing that knife thing, but with lightning strikes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a magnet thing. Uh, Dowling compliments her because it looks like Beatrix has her powers very well controlled already. Beatrix has no faults. Practically perfect in every way. Are you a model? Did you stone those tights? Well, I think it kind of makes sense that some students would come to Elfia more prepared, like if they had home instruction. I know, I'm... And let's face it, Beatrix seems the type whose like family could afford private tutors. Yeah. So, Aisha has a bowl of water in front of her. As you do. And uh, Aisha shows off by making the, like, by making, like, a big water ball come out of it. And Dowling is, you know, impressed, but also points out that big masses of water are very reliable because they're more or less stable. But controlling just one drop of water is really, really hard because it wants to defy the shape you're forcing it into. And um, Dowling seems to be a multi-element master, basically. She can do all of them because she... <laughs> She's the avatar. I also noticed that Dowling's eyes are white when she uses her powers. And I wonder if, because the elements all seem to have their own powers. If, you know, you master more elements, the color your eyes glow changes, like to mixes of those elements that you can control. Hmm. Or like, like say I can, like if I was a fairy who had like water and air, would my eyes be a lighter blue or would one eye be blue and the other eye be gray? You know what I mean? I guess it makes more sense than trying to have Dowling's eyes be the same color, like, be be all of the colors. It, it also helps her stand out from Yuza. Right. When Dowling says to use the individual parts of the whole, and I'm just like, oh uh, yeah, mess with the hydrogen, Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> Aisha separates hydrogen from oxygen and creates an explosion. She does a Colonel Roy Mustang. Uh, But, uh, so Dowling is the one who separates one drop of water from the ball that Aisha has. And Aisha focuses on trying to control that little drop. But her bubble bursts and gets water on Bloom and a little bit on Dowling, too. Uh, and the there's a whole bunch of extras in this shot because obviously you can't have a class with just six people. And I mean, I mean you can if you're if you're in a community college, but um, you know everybody starts like mumbling about that because it's it's exciting. And uh, Dowling kind of uses this as a a little bit of humbling for Aisha. Because, yes, she has control, but she still does have more that she needs to learn. Uh, 
this is also the end of class, apparently, uh, because she needs to uh, call a dry cleaner <laughs> for her clothes and dismisses class. And while they're packing up to leave, Beatrix gives Bloom this look that reads really flirty. Yeah. And Bloom makes the face of, uh, you, you're talking to me? <laughs> Is for me? Is flirt for me? Anyhow. And uh, that's how that scene ends. So now we're in the greenhouse. And... Professor Harvey, because it feels weird just calling him Ben, dips a cotton pad in some Zambac using a pair of tweezers and tells Silva that this is the last one for the day. We get a look at Silva's wound and gross. It's not good. Very good effects, but gross. Yeah, the veins are black. The veins are black. It's very clearly like a raised like scar. It's... The wound appears to still be open. After swabbing it, Professor Harvey leaves to get some bandages, which I don't know why they're not there. I guess it's for plot's sake. And outside of the greenhouse, he runs into Tara, reminding daughter, who asks how Silva is. Professor Harvey tries to gently dismiss her in the way that parents do by saying... Let me worry about that. You have your own stuff. And Tara's like, I'm 16, daddy. I'm not a child anymore. Elliot Salt is 27. Uh, During the filming of this, she was our age. She really isn't a child anymore. Professor Harvey brushes her off by saying, of course you are, sweetie. Kisses her on the forehead and then fucking dips. Tara looks so offended that she's been patronized. Oh, it was awful. It was so funny. And Tara turns to look at Silva, who is in the greenhouse. And as you know, a greenhouse is a glass house. (laughs) Do you want to take this uh, part? Yeah, I was was planning on it. Okay. So the next scene, Callum is walking through the halls. You remember Callum, right? Yeah. Uh, tugging on his sleeve, and Beatrix comes up, keeping step with him as they make their way through the hallways. It's it's a pretty good, like, a very confident and easy blending into the crowd so everybody else overlooks you. Right. But while they're actually talking about some mildly serious shots. <laughs> they're having surreptitious conversations. Um, apparently, Callum has tried a plant-based solution to the trap that Dowling has behind her bookcase, you know, the big old electro field, and has a rash because Beatrix didn't tell him to use gloves. That was funny. Yeah, basically, uh, he says it has stinging nettles in it. Bro. Well, specifically, it's like some sort of nettle-based solution. And normally when you, like, boil stinging nettles, that makes them not sting anymore. But I guess whatever magic did, it didn't deactivate the stingers. Ah, ouchies. Because, like, poison ivy, it's got those little irritating hairs. Yipes. 
Fun fact, though, oh, it is edible. Something I forgot to mention in the last scene. Apparently the little, like, like click thing that Tara does is a family trait, because her dad does it too. Now all we need to do is see Sam do it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see plenty of Sam this season. Beatrix tells him that she'll try thinking up another solution after class, and says that Dowling is still distracted by the burned one, which, to be fair, it's about to kill one of her employees and friends. As they descend the staircase into the dining hall, Callum says Dowling still suspects someone from outside of the school let the burned one out, but she'll be looking inside before long because there's only so much you can do with looking outside. Especially when it seems like Althea is pretty remote. Right. All they know is person in cloak. Uh, he tells Beatrix that they should stay inconspicuous, not be seen with each other, because this is a school, and people gossip. Beatrix says, don't worry about it. Because she has a short skirt, and he is a male admin. People just think that he's a gross pervert, and you should get away from me. Turns out. This scene was one of the earliest filmed in production. And uh, one of the extras was thinking they were filming a kid's show because he he just saw that. Well, he saw the ages of like the other extras and the main cast. Because they don't really tell you what you're working on. So you can't tell people what you're working on. You know what I mean? But so he's like being very careful not to make any gesture that could accidentally be like obscene and like, you know, on his very best behavior. And then Beatrix shouts, get away from me, you pervert, but uses a much harsher word than pervert, which I will not repeat here. And that basically knocked him off his chair. And apparently it became a little bit of a, a cast meme among the extras (laughs) because of how early it happened in filming. And that lets you know pretty quickly that you're dealing with at least a Riverdale drama. <laughs> anyway, Riven shows up and she links arms with him and they walk away. And make out through an apple. It was. I've heard of an indirect kiss, but this is just unnecessary. <laughs> and Tara, nearby in the lunch line with Dane, asks if this really just happened. (laughs) Dane and Tara, like, chat about Riven and Beatrix's relationship. I mean, they both have weird names. It works. (laughs) Tara thinks Riven has questionable taste, but Dane doesn't think they're all that bad, since they invited him to the senior specialist party. Tara's pretty surprised by this. Uh, The party is apparently a yearly kegger, and when Dane asks if she's coming, she gets a bit dodgy. Dane says he hopes to see her there, and they part ways. Is it Curry Day? Probably. I it's think it's Ireland. Curry Day. It's Ireland. They eat curry there a lot. So, um, Bloom and Musa are sitting together at one of the side tables, and they're talking about class. And Bloom thinks it was kind of interesting to see Aisha be the one struggling for 
And for some reason, Musa picks up that she's guilty about this. Um, Bloom thinks it's her fault that Aisha is distracted because her parents Skype her every single day at 9 a.m. Switzerland time, which is 2 a.m. Althea time. And Musa says they know because they can hear her. Bloom thinks she's being quiet, but she's... Um, Musa compares it to an old woman unwrapping candy in a movie theater. <laughs> uh, this thought gets interrupted by Sam. Uh, she gets another hit of that sweet music, which today I have decided is September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Dream Weaver! <laughs> I know it's not it, but shut up. Uh, Bloom starts teasing Musa about her feelings. And uh, Musa asks Bloom to keep things quiet about her and Sam while Tara's around. Which is cue for Tara to slam her tray on the table and ask when it started being cool to be a nerd. Uh, around, the, <sighs> around the time Captain America the First Adventure came out, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Like, maybe Iron Man was, like, the start of it, but it was Captain America when everything really kicked off. You know what I mean? But you can only be a hot nerd. Yeah, and Tara is not a conventionally hot nerd. Um, uh, Tara, you know, she rants that she likes history, she likes to read, she likes curling up with a cup of tea, but nobody's gonna share an apple with her. And then Muse and Bloom ask for context. <laughs> Tara wants to know what the difference between her and Beatrix is. Uh, About Musa a buck fifty. Sam is like signaling her from a few tables away, uh, conveniently out of Tara's eyeline, and she makes up an excuse and says she has to leave. So then Tara, instead of even taking a break to acknowledge that Musa's gone, just swivels right on Bloom. She's like, I have feelings and I need to get them out now. And she says that she she knows why being a nerd works for Beatrix, because Beatrix is conventionally pretty and skinny and smokes weed. Uh, but before she gets too openly vulnerable about her self-image issues, she cuts herself off and asks Bloom how going for or how uh, looking for the mystery lady in her memory is going. This is when Bloom asks about the yearbook thing. And Tara thinks that her dad probably does have yearbooks, but she'd have to get them herself since Harvey is so busy managing Silva's infection. Bloom asks how Silva's doing. Uh, and Tara says that based on her dad's reactions, not good. Bloom like starts empathizing with Skye. Uh, because she knows that would be really hard to deal with. And she asks if Tara had seen Sky around lately. Tara tries to dissuade Bloom from going after Sky because he's in a relationship with Stella. But Bloom clarifies that, you know, she's just worried about him as a friend. Because obviously you can't be friends with somebody of a um, potentially viable romantic situation without everybody assuming it has to be romantic. That's why I don't care about you. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Speaking of Sky, he slips into the greenhouse to check on Silva and asks how bad his infection is. Silva can hardly speak. <laughs> he is panting so hard due to the pain. Okay. And Sky asks if Professor Harvey is going to up Silva's dose of Sandback to keep the infection at bay. Sky is trying everything he can to get any stressors off of Silva's back. Like he says, he offers to lead the first year sparring sessions and asks for status on the mission to hunt down the burned one that infected him. He is trying and genuinely worried. Silva tells Sky that the battalion that was sent after it has tracked it 40 miles. Kilometers. I. Yeah, no shit. I made a mistake. <laughs> Silva tells Sky that the battalion sent after it tracked it 40 kilometers north of Alfia. And even though he's confident that they're going to be dis- And even though he's confident that they'll be able to destroy it, he's not sure they'll do it in time. The infection has reached an advanced stage, and once it hits his heart, he'll turn. Sky asks how long he has- and Silva says, not very. <laughs> Sky gets all worked up because... His 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 dad is dying for all intents and purposes. <laughs> his dad's... His dad's dying. Uh, asking, what are we going to do? And Silva responds that he settled the last of his affairs and he is ready to die. Not ready, but prepared to. <laughs> Yeah, he's got all of his affairs in order. Like what's get like, like you know like what his you, last what he will and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna get his sweet CD collection? That kind of stuff. <laughs> he tells Sky that soldiers do need to have these tough conversations with those they care about, and all they can do is make a plan. It's a harsh reality. People die, and and so- it's a bummer. And sometimes the only thing you can do is wait, no matter how much that sucks. Oh, this got real. Sky is completely devastated, saying he can't lose another father. And Silva tells Sky that he'll keep him updated on the, on the mission. Sky leaves the greenhouse, and we have a brief cut. We go to Stella in the dining hall, talking with Kat, the female specialist we saw before, and Stella's asking about the battalion. Kat assures her that Silva's going to be fine, since the mission is being headed by an alum named Marco, who has a reputation as one of the strongest recent graduates. (laughs) And Stella just goes, wait, Marco? Like, like hot Marco. (laughs) Stella, Kat reassures Stella that Silva's going to be fine, and a full scene change. So that scene change goes to Bloom and her and Aisha's room. And she managed to get those yearbooks from Tara. And Aisha is working on that single drop of water exercise. Uh, they talk about some potential students that could have been. Uh, that Bloom thought matched the woman in her dream. But no. She was distracted by some really good Farrah Fawcett hair. 
Okay, at this moment, I did make the joke that I just got the Farrah Fawcett joke, but because it is not Miss Dowling, it is, it is a joke, but... Yeah, just a hairstyle that was popular in the 70s. A fun hair joke. Uh, Bloom's memory is fading, so it's getting harder to figure out who she saw, but she has a theory on what she can do next. She had the memory after she drew on a lot of magic while she was fighting that burned one last episode, which might have acted like some sort of homing beacon that let the woman who left her in the first world know where she was. So if she goes to the stone circle and draws on its power, she could get another hit. Aisha thinks this is a very bad idea. Bloom reassures Aisha that she's getting better, and points out how well she did in class and Aisha is very obviously um, concerned about Bloom kind of getting the assignment right away while she's struggling Bloom please it's been one week (laughs) so they're snapped out of the like kind of awkward silence that settles after that uh, remark because Tara's panicking Tara asks if anybody knows how to do winged eyeliner. Ah. And Bloom and Aisha, they just look at each other and they run to the bathroom, and Tara looks like a raccoon. Tara looks like Gara. Honey! And Bloom and Aisha don't even, like, say anything. They just sit her down and Bloom grabs some makeup cleaner pads. And, you know, they, they clean her up. Uh, Tara asks why they're not ready for the party, and Aisha says she needs to study. Bloom has, you know, a full plate, but Tara kind of begs them to go to the party because she needs full support from the rest of the suite. Uh, Somebody knocks on the bathroom door, and Tara is like, Musa or Stella? Musa or Stella? Thankfully, it's Musa. Uh, Tara tells her to get dressed because they're going to go to the party and show everyone they're cool. They're fun. They're hot. (laughs) Uh, Bloom and Aisha fix Tara up and uh, they show her that they fixed her eyeliner. And everybody has like a little bit of a bonding moment while they look in the mirror and they agree that they're going to go to the party with her. I love her so much. I want to die, Brendan. You just, (sighs) you just want attractive girls to she's all that you too, don't I want attractive girls to like me. Dude, I know I'm hot. I just need someone else to realize it. Add a girl. <laughs> so we're in Sky and Riven's room now. Stella is applying her makeup while Riven fills his flask with vodka. And remember, girls aren't supposed to be in their dorms. But, whatever. Stella apologizes to Skye for imposing, but she's here because four first years getting ready for their first on-campus party would be a nightmare to work around. Riven snipes at her, pointing out that if everyone around her is a nightmare, it's probably not them. And I have to agree with you. Yeah. At some point, you are the problem. (laughs) and 
Stella makes a face at him before continuing her routine. Sky is surprised that Riven's already drinking, and Riven jokes that since Stella's been here an hour, he's been drinking for an hour. Alcohol. Sky says to take it easy because last year he threw up in like five different places. And Riven says that's a benchmark. Stop! Always sunny title card. Riven gets alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Stella asks to at least share, but Skye says he won't be drinking tonight. Stella lets Skye know that she spoke to Kat, and that Marco- Badass Marco. Who she calls the strongest fairy in a decade is on the case. So, are they all fairies? Well, the implication is that Marco himself is a fairy. Ah. Sky says that he's still not drinking, and some tense music starts as we switch scenes. Uh, here's a little bit of a fun note I found out about uh, drinking in Ireland. So, as long as you're accompanied by somebody over the age of 18, it's perfectly legal for a 16-year-old to drink. Because this is the and because this is the senior class party, there's definitely people over eighteen who are gonna be there. Okay. Just just a fun fact that technically it's perfectly legal. Also, at this point I'm just like, oh god, hot Marco's gonna die. So, Silva is on the phone with Marco. Hot Marco! It looks like he, Dowling, and Silva have set up like a little mission control in the courtyard set, which is kind of a weird place to do it. I would suspect that, like, I would really think they would do something like this at Silva's office, but I guess they didn't want to build another set. You know what I mean? Right. And they don't want to do it in the greenhouse because, again, windows. So... Uh, Marco gives a status update that they missed the burned one by about an hour. Uh, Silva suggests that they use a nearby river as a guide since burned ones can't navigate large bodies of water easily, which makes sense when they're, you know, on fire. Uh, Marco, like, confirms that they're going to be using that plan and that they should have the burned one by morning. Dowling tries to tell Marco that they might not have that morning. We have a like a cut to the other end of the line, and we see Marco and his second in command, who has a sword strapped to her back. So presumably, I love her. She's the specialist, and he's the fairy. I love her. Uh, later on, we will find out that typically they're assigned in pairs: one specialist, one fairy. I mean, that makes sense. So uh, Marco and his second in command, like, they give each other a little look. And uh, he lets Dowling know that they will call as soon as the burned one's destroyed. And he hangs up before Dowling can keep talking. When she goes to call back, Silva tells her that they shouldn't be on the phone and they should be focusing on the mission. Dowling wishes that the three of them were out there dealing with the burned one. Because they have experience doing it. Well, Silva's a lump at this point. 
Yeah, Silva's a lump, uh, so not ideal. And um, Harvey reassures Dowling that Marco and his partner, whose name is Nora, are two of the best grads Alfia has. Uh, and that since the three of them decided to stick around Alfia as teachers, they have to trust that the students they the students that graduate can apply the lessons. Right. Um, they are sitting around like it looks like they're at a card table. Um, and uh, so they all sit around this table, and Dowling complains that she feels like a babysitter. Which makes Silva laugh. Or Harvey asks if tonight is the specialist party that these students think the faculty doesn't know about. Turns out Silva himself is the one who started this party tradition back in the day, and the three professors like take a shot as the scene changes. Enjoy your last night on Earth, Silva. Alright, so we uh, cut to the party, and this looks like a nightmare. The Winks, sans Stella, walk through some peak bisexual lighting. If you're not familiar with the trope, listener, um, bisexual lighting is a... It's a it's cropping up a whole lot lately, uh, but it's when everything in a scene is lit in blue and pink. And into the party, which is being held in the abandoned East Wing. Tara explains that it used to be used for war preparations, but since there hasn't really been a war for a while, no one uses it for anything except for this. Um, real quick, there are some lit sconces. <laughs> and that seems very dangerous about around a dr bunch of drunk teens. Eh, people can control fire and water, it's fine. I mean, when they're drunk. Also, everything is made of stone. Anyway, Aisha and Bloom go off to get some beer, leaving Musa and Tara to wander through the crowd. This is so stupidly cute. Tara brought something. <laughs> she puts a little thing on top of her on the counter. Or on, on a table. Musa opens the lid and it's just weed brownies. Dane wasn't too far off last episode, eh? Well, I wonder if Tara grew it herself. It's organic. All homemade. This is when Sam materializes out of nowhere, having come for a drink because this is the drink table. And he pretends it's his first time meeting Musa, so they can keep up the charade for a little bit longer. Dane also materializes out of nowhere. <laughs> and is glad that Tara stopped by. And she says she decided to come last minute. And Sam teases her about the last minute brownies. Sam, you really are an older brother. <laughs> That's the vibe I'm getting, is that Sam is probably the older sibling. It's either that or they're twins. Because Tara's a first year. Anyway, Sam pieces out, and uh, Tara offers Dane a brownie, advising him to start with half, or maybe a quarter, because 
They're brown. Okay, you ate the whole thing. <laughs> um, this reminds me of that one gift set that would go around Tumblr. That was advice. Oh God. For, for it was advice for. It, I think it was the gifts were from like SNL or something. But it was advice for doing edibles. And it's you know start with a half, maybe a quarter, wait a few hours. Because if you eat too many because you want them to take effect instantly, it will hit you all at once and you will see Satan trying to pull your eyeballs out of your kneecaps. I mean... And Dane snatches a couple to take to Rivet and Sky, leaving Tara all by herself. And once again, speaking of Sky, uh, Bloom finds him at a different part of the party and asks how Silva is doing. Uh, Sky lets her know that the battalion's closing in on the burned one, and it's only a matter of time. And then Bloom asks how Sky is doing. And he is completely honest and says he feels like us. He knows he's. I mean. He knows he's supposed to be strong, but Silver raised him after his father died. And even though they trained to risk their lives, he never really thought Silva could actually die. Because facing the mortality of a parent is incredibly hard to do, no matter what age you are. Yeah. Um, he asks Bloom about her parental situation, and uh, she just dodges around it by saying it's tricky. He asks if it's because there's not many fairies that live in the first world, but Bloom keeps cagey. Uh, he jokes about liking a mystery. And Bloom says that after a few beers, she'll be an open book. Uh, despite telling Stella and Riven he wasn't going to drink tonight, Sky has changed his mind, probably because Bloom has actually done the work to fully ask what is ask how he is doing and empathize with his situation in a way that makes it clear that she understands his pain and doesn't just pity him. Ha! And he admits that he could use the distraction. Uh, Bloom tells them that there's a game of beer pong going on, and Sky tells her that she just made a huge mistake. Alright, guys versus girls! Bloom and Aisha against Sky and Riven! Uh, this was a fun scene. It was, it was really cute. <laughs> Bloom nudges Aisha, say, like, it's just a little montage of them playing beer pong. A couple of things to, like, Bloom... Basically telling Aisha which cup to go for, and then Bloom uses her power to heat up the beer. Gross. So Aisha full-on makes the shot. And Sky's all like, oh god, gross, this beer is hot. And they're like, Puss. you can drink it, puss. When Sky lines up for his shot in retaliation, Bloom advises Aisha to use her powers to bounce the ball back out. She does, but instead of just bouncing the ball out... She loses control and basically all of the beer explodes. Right on Sky and Riven. Sky manages to get out of the way before, you know, being dunked on, but Riven is soaked. And Riven is pissed. Aisha apologizes before ducking out to get some paper towels, as. as. and Bloom is just laughing about the whole thing. Bloom asks Sky if he's feeling any better, and he's like, well, I'm feeling drunker. 
And Riven pops in with, I thought you said you weren't going to drink. Riven then is like, well, Bloom's way more fun than Stella. And that Bloom reminds him of someone named Ricky. Bloom asks, who's Ricky? And Skye flatly tells Riven, no. Riven ignores him and launches into an intensive plot summary of an Australian Magical Girl series, H2O, Just Add Water. Which was going to be our first podcast. Ricky. I'm sorry. Um, in all seriousness, Riven reveals that Ricky was Stella's roommate last term. She and Stella used to be best friends until Ricky flirted too much with Skye. And in retaliation, Stella, in Riven's words, showed what a psycho she was. Gotta say, they're throwing that term around a lot. They're 16. I... Well... Stella had used her powers to purposefully blind Ricky. Bloom says, No, that's not true, that's impossible, and Skye says, Look into your heart, you know it to be true. I'm sorry. Bloom says that that can't be true. And Skye says that no, that that's what happened. And Riven gives him a good old shit-eating grin before he leaves. And Sky looks over his shoulder to see Stella in the crowd. Bloom, understandably shooken, says she's going to go find Aisha. While she's on her mission to find Aisha, she's walking through some of the back hallways and texts Aisha to ask where she went. She notices a room off to the side, and instead of finding anybody having sex there, she finds a (laughs) bunch of old equipment and files. And the thing that catches her eye is a framed photo, because front and center is the woman from her vision. But in the actual quiet makeout corner of this party, Sam and Musa are having a moment. Real quick! I'm sorry, I just freaking remember. Did, did, did they say who, like, what song was playing during the party? I can't remember. Because that totally sounded like Kesha. Maybe it was. Well, anyway. Hold on a sec, let me look up. Just for you. <gasps> yeah, Tonight by Kesha. Yay! I love Kesha. I'm sorry, the, there's a song coming up later called Hot Pink by a band named Let's Eat Grandma. <laughs> Is there a comma in there? Nope. <laughs> so Sam asks if being around this many people is getting to Musa, but since it's a party, she can only pick up on people having time and she is too uh musa asks if tara and sam are close and they are because according to sam there weren't many other kids their age around growing up since they live very close to the school he then asks if tara is the reason that he and musa have been sneaking around musa confirms he's absolutely right Uh, And she says that because she and Tara share a room, she has to feel pretty much everything Tara feels. And Tara feels a lot. 
She's afraid that Tara would react badly if she found out about Musa seeing her brother. Sans? Sans? Undertale? (laughs) Why are you here? Um, Sam asks if this means that there is, uh, like, a them to tell Tara about. And uh, Musa jokes that, now that he said something, absolutely not. And then they do a kissing. Which stops because Musa picks up a really strong ping of social anxiety. And uh, Sam Kitty prides through the wall while Tara, like, rounds the corner. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> so I just like, <laughs> I am sensing some really strong social anxiety all of a sudden. Hi! <laughs> so Tara joins Musa in Makeout Nook and asks what Musa picks up from Dane since she's crushing really hard on him and is oblivious to the fact that he's Probably not into women very much, if at all. Uh, Musa lets Tara know that the the thing she gets off of Dane is that he's comfortable around Tara, and he does like her, but she doesn't know if it's in a romantic sense or platonic. But the only thing Tara heard was, he kind of likes you. Or like, he's comfortable around you. Oh, it's my turn. Yes. Oh. Oh, this scene was weird. (laughs) Not weird, just an alternate form of relationship. (laughs) In a completely different side room, Dane and Riven are looking for something to replace Riven's soaked shirt. Um, it feels like someone at this party could maybe get the beer out of it. I don't know, a water or fire fairy, but whatever. Um, or Riven could, I don't know, go back to his dorm and change shirts, but whatever. Riven is shirtless and his actor is very hot. (laughs) Also worth noting is that both Riven and Dane do have joints and they are lit. AF. Fam. Dane offers a breastplate, Riven grabs a helmet, and Beatrix walks in and says not to cover his face since it's one of his few good qualities. And he is very attractive. Do I have to read these lines? (laughs) These are my thoughts. (laughs) I know. Dane pipes up that Beatrix isn't wrong. Sorry, my mind went somewhere. Hmm. I don't know where it went. And I don't know if it's back, but... Beatrix looks over to Dane and asks if he wants the shotgun. He has no idea what that means. You're seriously uncomfortable with this scene, aren't you? I think I am! <laughs> wow. I can't believe you're... I can't believe... I can't figure out how to make this joke about you being a bigot. I can't believe. The main 
the main issue I have right here is the marijuana. And that's literally because I don't smoke and have no intention to, and smoking is weird for me. <laughs> You're such a square. And whose fault is that? Your mother's, I think. Society's. Do you need me to take over for the rest of this scene, sweetheart? I'll take the next one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually, I didn't even take any notes here. I have one note. I was like, oh, wait, that's not Dowling. And then my next note is just spoiler for something later in the episode. Wow, you really did just kind of hold your, hold your nose. You really did. You like, didn't want I don't to smell know. This. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, so, uh, stepping in because Tess has gotten <laughs> very demure. Shut up! Uh, in a scene very evocative of the threesome, Riven instructs Dane to inhale and hold. Then he gets between Dane and Beatrix. And when Beatrix tells him to exhale, she and Riven both take the hit. Riven takes one from Beatrix, and she excuses herself to wash the dust off of her hands, because she's also been getting up to some archive skimming. And she gives them a look that says that she pretty much expects them to get up to stuff while she's gone. Dane asks how Riven can smoke so much after eating Tara's brownies, and Riven cracks that Tara put as much weed in those brownies as Dowling would. Dane asks him not to be an ass because Tara did make those brownies for the whole party, and Riven breaks it to him that no, she made those brownies for Dane because she's thirsty for him. Uh, and then there's an innuendo here that made me go, oh. Innuendo. Mm. Because Riven asks what size Dane is, lets that question hang, and specifies he's talking about Dane's shirt, and I had to fan myself. Okay, I feel like I saw this scene specifically referenced in, on like a Twitter or whatever, where someone was like, this is clearly a straight person writing a gay man. Mm -hmm. But I'm honestly feeling this as just Riven's being a douchebag. As he usually is. So we're back at the party, and Stella is standing at the punch bowl, where she asks the guy who is dressed full-on hipster if there's any sugar in the punch. He says no and hands her a glass. Uh, fun fact, alcohol is almost entirely empty calories to begin with, so that doesn't really matter. Yeah, Stella, unless you're diabetic, it does not matter if there's sugar in this or not. Sky then swings up and tells Stella that they need to talk about Ricky. Stella looks shocked, and when she goes to speak, Sky cuts her off and says that some things matter and others don't, and what other people think about her doesn't matter. Stella asks if this is some sort of Silva thing he's going through, making it incredibly obvious that she does not care about how his father figure potentially dying is affecting him. And Sky just goes, really? She then asks if he's drunk, since he said he wouldn't be drinking. And Sky flat out tells Stella that he's tired of lying. 
Brendan, you made a weird typo here. Freudian slip. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure she's done that in the past week. (sighs) Stella gets defensive and tells Skye to suck it up. Because what people think happened to Ricky is what really happened, and that's the end of it. So, I'm guessing that's not really what happened to Ricky. Seems like. Someone's trying to sell me something? (laughs) Well, it seems like it's not the whole truth. (laughs) Sky tells her it doesn't make sense. And Riven was talking about it earlier to Bloom. She asked if Bloom believed it, and Skye says that he did back up the story, but points out that by staying in a relationship with Stella, after she purposefully blinded her best friend, makes him look at best like an uncaring douche, and at worst, a complete psychopath. Stella snipes that she thought he didn't care what other people thought, and Skye's phone starts dinging. He checks it, and there's a message that the burned one is dead. Stella try oh god Stella tries to pivot away from what they were talking about and says it's great news but Sky ignores her and immediately goes to check on Silva leaving her alone back with Bloom in the side room she's found more photos that have the blonde mystery woman in them and she's taking pictures of them with her phone she's interrupted by Beatrix who asks if she's really art washing at a party uh, and if she is, how come they aren't friends yet? Uh, Bloom shows Beatrix one of the pictures that she's taken and asks if Beatrix knows who the woman is. Because Beatrix is into history, so she assumes that Beatrix would know. Beatrix wants to know why Bloom is asking in a way that makes it pretty clear she does know who that is. But when Bloom gets evasive and says she can't tell, uh, she can't tell Beatrix why she needs to know. Beatrix says she doesn't have the foggiest clue who that woman is and leaves Bloom to enjoy her arts and crafts. No more flirting from Beatrix, I guess. Uh, Bloom then storms up to Aisha and shows her one of the pictures she took, where right next to the woman from her vision is a younger Dowling. Aisha asks if Bloom is absolutely certain that this is the woman she saw, and Bloom knows that it that this is right, and thinks Dowling was hiding another thing from her. Aisha assures Bloom that they'll talk to Dowling tomorrow, but Bloom is still angry at Dowling for lying to her about being a changeling and wants to confront her now. Aisha turns to leave, and when Bloom tries to grab her and bring her for moral support, uh, Aisha just flat out tells her that if Bloom wants to see the headmistress at midnight while she's drunk, she can do it herself. And while she's at it, she can run off to the stone circle and nuke Alfia with her powers. She's done pulling Bloom back from the edge, and if Bloom wants to jump, Bloom should jump. And then she leaves Bloom just standing there, which is a recurring theme in this episode of characters being left standing alone. They are also emotionally alone. It's like poetry you see at rhymes. <laughs> it's symbolic. Dominatrix banana. Okay. <laughs> so much for uh, so much for Aisha being the one to give people outs anymore, eh? Aisha, do you know another word that starts with F? F- swimming. 
So now Beatrix is just breaking in Dowling's office. And Callum, you remember Callum, is examining the open doorway and the trap that's on it. Beatrix tells him that there's been a change of plans and they need to do this tonight. Because Bloom has been asking about Rosalind, which is a name that was mentioned earlier. In episode one. Yes. Callum tells Beatrix that he still hasn't figured out what kind of magic Dowling has on the door while his back is to her. Beatrix conjures some powers and makes Callum levitate before she shoves him through the door, using him to spring the trap. Callum falls to the ground, lips entirely blue, expelling cold puffs of air, and Beatrix takes his flashlight and walks out of the hidden passage. Okay. (laughs) I don't understand why she didn't just push him. Because we have this money for effects. <laughs> Gotta use it or lose it. Outside of Althea, Sky runs up to Silva, who is sitting on one of the mats in the training yard, and asks him how he's feeling. Silva doesn't look any better. He, al- he almost looks worse. It turns out that although the battalion killed a burned one, they didn't kill the burned one that attacked him. Which confirms that there are at least two of these fuss. Oh, actually, that makes sense then, that when they got the ring back from last, the one last episode, it's the same one that wounded Silva, but it wasn't dead, just incapacitated. Oh, yeah, because something comes up a little later that we can actually point to that. It, um, well, just the, the sheer fact that if they had killed it when they impaled it on that branch, <sighs> Silva wouldn't be infected that too anyway sky is you know trying to encourage him and says that the battalion's going to keep looking but silva gently tells sky that it's too late for him and he is going to die thinking that silva is just lying down and accepting his fate and says that the one thing Silva always told him is that his father died fighting. Sky runs off, leaving Silva behind. In the courtyard, Dowling informs Harvey that she has contacted the Queen and informed her they'll need a detachment from the Salarian army to help search. Harvey assures her that she's done what she could, and Dowling has progressed from a shop to a full glass of liquor. And she is furious with herself for being wrong about the burned one. Because if there's at least two, how many more? Harvey tells her that she's going to be able to fix it, but that's when Bloom storms right up to them both. Dowling tells her she should be in bed, and Bloom tells Dowling that she should tell the truth. He shows her the picture of Dowling and Rosalind. Dowling and Harvey share a look, and Harvey leaves to give them some privacy. Bloom says that Rosalind is the woman who left her in the first world and asks who she is. Uh, Rosalind was the last headmistress and Dowling was like her her right hand. Uh, And when Bloom asks if this means Dowling was around when she was left in the first world, Dowling was telling the truth. That she knows just as much about Bloom's birth as Bloom does. But Bloom doesn't believe her. 
Dowling tries to say that they should continue this conversation once Bloom is sober, but Bloom wants to know why all the pictures of Rosalind were shoved into the East Wing. Turns out, Rosalind was headmistress during what Dowling calls a difficult period in Althea's history that the school is not that eager to celebrate. Bloom demands to speak to Rosalind and tells Dowling about the vision, but Ros- but Dowling tells her that it's impossible because Rosalind has been dead for years. She doesn't know what Bloom saw or why she saw them, but this vision is where things end. And Bloom is furious that her chance to find answers is gone, and she just starts shaking with anger. Oh god, an angry drunk fire fairy. (laughs) Yipes. Alright, so Bloom is running to the stone circle. She raises her hand, and all of the torches light up as she calls for her magic. The vessel is still there. I guess that's where it lives now. The vessel in the center turns into a pillar of fire. Bloom calls on more and more power, flames building up and crawling up her body. She's having a moment. You could quite literally say she's having a thermonuclear meltdown. (laughs) Then she drops the spell and just breaks down sobbing. And there is no sound only like dramatic cello music i think it's interesting that this is the second time that when she's had an extreme display of emotion like this the audio cuts out i think it's an artistic choice but maybe she doesn't do good noises i don't know (laughs) she can look like she's crying but she can't sell you know what i mean she screams she's She's just screaming and sobbing. It's just... It's like a goat. (laughs) (laughs) She's just leaning there against the center pillar and is only snapped out of it when Sky comes over the hill and into the circle, fully armored up. He asks Bloom what she's doing out here. And she won't talk to him at first. And then she admits she's a changeling which is why she couldn't explain her family situation because she doesn't really know it. And she's out here because she re- she realized she's willing to do anything she can to find even a hint of an answer. I think Abby Callan yes. is doing some really powerful acting here because the look on Bloom's face when she says she's willing to do apparently anything means that it's like she scared herself with that revelation. You know what I... Dude, the show! Yeah. It's so good. They're good actors. Harold's, they're good actors. (laughs) They're good actors, Harold. Sky says he doesn't understand how the stone circle will help her, but he understands. And this is something I like because they kind of get each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, they they seem to be able to just kind of understand these things and just fully accept it and that they don't need to know. Bloom then realizes he's dressed in from head to toe in armor 
And he lets her know that Silva is still dying because the battalion killed the wrong burned one. And he's planning on finding it and killing it himself. He can't just sit around and do nothing. Bloom then picks up on a hint of the same mysterious whispers she hears every time a burned one is around, and I'm like, what the hell is this darkspawn Grey Warden crap? She starts looking to the woods, and Bloom <laughs> and Bloom tells him he won't have to hunt it down himself because she can feel that the burned one is in the forest. She starts to mention getting Dowling, but Sky friggin' dips right into the woods, and after a moment of shock, Bloom follows. Back at the party, Tara and Dane are playing beer pong against Riven, who's going solo, and apparently they're doing pretty well. Uh, At one point, Tara hugs him while they cheer, and Riven gives Dane that look that says, I told you she was thirsty for you. Uh, By the way, Dane, no shirt anymore. Yep, everybody's shirtless now. Well, okay, Riven... Or does Riven have a shirt at this point? I forget. Riven Riven stole Dane's shirt. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, this is when Stella hustles on in and asks Riven if he knows where Sky went because he is not answering any of her texts. Riven turns the question right back around on her and asks if Stella has tried looking for Bloom lately. Uh, Stella just kind of goes, what? And Riven says, oh no, there's definitely nothing going so Stella doesn't need to blind Bloom. And Stella says she wouldn't waste her magic on a changeling. Riven reacts with appropriate shock, and then Stella goes, oops. And that's when her phone goes off with texts from Bloom that just say, emergency, burned one, stone circle. Stella and Tara lock eyes, and they just run because, you know, burned one. And Musa is getting the same text while she tries to make out with Sam back in the suite. And when she pulls out her phone, Aisha comes out of her in Bloom's room and asks if Musa just got the same messages. I, I am worried that Riven now has the knowledge that Bloom is a changeling. We'll have to find out how that works next episode. Oh, God damn it! Uh, do you want to take this little... Um... But in the mysterious catacombs of Dowling's office during this whole uh, rigmarole, Beatrix finally finds what she's been looking for, which is a force field pillar that looks like a whole bunch of like wiggly lines of light interlocked like a chain. Or a, a chain link fence. That's, that's better. And um, Beatrix reaches out while high suspense music plays, and when she touches the force field, it, it's like it bites her or shocks her or something, and it makes an audible crack noise when she yanks her hand away. <sighs> Ouchies. Out in the woods, Bloom and Sky pass through the barrier, yeah. while some very intense synth bass underscores them walking into a big clearing, which looks like the same location Bloom and Aisha were in during episode one. The burned one is close, and Sky pulls his sword. He and Bloom go right into back-to-back badasses mode. That sentence doesn't sound right to me, but I'm gonna keep it in because of you. He asks how Bloom can track the burned one, and she says it's another one of her life's mysteries, which she could be solving back inside the barrier. The camera rotates a few times, 
and the burned one looms in the trees behind Bloom, its eyes glowing red. They haven't done that before, and I thought it was effectively terrifying. The other times we've seen burned ones, they didn't have glowing eyes. Well, this one's just mad. It jumps out of the tree and just starts swinging. Bloom hits the dirt while Sky tries to fight it before he gets knocked on his ass. The burned one turns on Bloom, raising its claws, and from off screen, Stella shouts, Close your eyes! Because she and doesn't want to blind Bloom. Bloom does, and searing white light blinds the burned one, which covers his eyes and shrieks. The camera flips to Stella, prismatic lights in her hand. I have no other way to say this stuff except for how you're doing it, so please bear with me. Yeah. And the other four Winx girls are with her. No, the other three. I'm sorry. I miscounted. <laughs> Techna's not I here. Got... <laughs> Techna, na, 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 nope. <laughs> and the other three Winx girls are with her. Tara conjures a vine out of the ground, holding the burnt one in place while it tries to regain its bearings. Bloom shoots a flamethrower from her hands and then calls on Aisha, who hits the fire with a gush of water that creates a steam smokescreen. This gives Sky the opening he needed, and he drives his sword straight through the burned one, which falls to the ground. And at this moment, you can actually see this burned one has like a split in its back. More than likely from where it got impaled onto the tree. The Winks and Sky look over to the prone burned one, who is, you know, been skewered. And Musa picks up on a high-pitched noise from its mind. And when she tries to tell the others it's still alive, which I do like this because it means all of the girls contributed something to this fight. It lunges to its feet before a burning light comes out of its chest, strong enough to break through the forest canopy, and it collapses. Dowling's voice comes from behind the winks, and she confirms Muse's reading. It wasn't dead, but it is now. Jump to Beatrix coming up from the catacombs under Dowling's office, and she complains that all of their effort was for nothing. She got through one wall, and there was another in its place. She comments that Dowling is probably going to be back soon, and she doesn't think she can fix Callum up in time, because he looks frostbitten. Uh, he's, like, ashy gray, and he has blue lips, and he's, like, exhaling, like, when you do on a cold day, and it's just, like, a puff of steam. Uh, she starts charging her lightning up, and because she has the destruction skill tree perk Disintegrate, there's nobody left behind when she zaps him. He just Thanos snaps away. And as she walks out of the office... She shoots Dane and Riven a text to ask if they're still raging. She straight up killed a man. Oh yeah, vaporized him. Okay, question. Hmm. I am a square. What does raging mean? Oh my f***ing god, are you serious? Is that just high? Like, are you still partying? Okay. You've never Thank heard, you. You've never heard a party called a rager? I've never heard it being used as a verb. Uh, we go back to the greenhouse where uh, Harvey is peeling off Silva's bandages and his wound is completely healed. 
As soon as the bandages are off, Silva starts telling Sky how stupid and impulsive he was for going off to kill a monster on his own. And Sky just asks if he's better. Sky gives Harvey a little look to check with him. And Harvey smiles because he's proud of Sky. And Silva tells Harvey not to smile at him. And then he and Sky do a hug because it's a good father son moment. Uh, Silva tells Sky that his father would be proud of him. Dowling in the atrium walks up to the Winks and lets them know that just because they and Silva are alive doesn't change how thoughtless they were, and that they'll be discussing consequences in the morning. As she turns to walk away, though, she can't keep from smiling with how proud of them she is. This gets confirmed when, after Aisha asks Musa if Dowling was angry enough to choose detention or expulsion, Musa thinks that detention is more likely because she can feel Dowling's pride. Sky then makes a beeline towards Stella, and the other winks just kind of dip out, so they're not around when whatever's about to happen happens. Stella apologizes for her behavior because she couldn't handle seeing him afraid and vulnerable. When she says that he's the only one who knows the real her, Skye lets her know that that's her choice. She tries to defend herself, rationalizing that Skye can't know the pressure she's under as the heir to the throne of Solaria, but he does. Stella tells him that she needs Skye to be her safety net, to catch her if she falls, but he asks what'll happen if he falls. The unspoken implication being that recent events have proven that she wouldn't return the favor. Sky walks off and leaves Stella in the courtyard, just leaving people alone. It's a recurring motif. In Musa and Tara's room, Tara's taking off her lipstick while Musa tries to start a casual conversation about Sam, saying that he seems nice. Tara, in typical sibling fashion, apologizes for her behavior and says that he only seems nice. Amusa bails and puts on her headphones because this is really uncomfortable. And Tara texts Dane saying that she had fun tonight. She gets the little bubbles that pop up saying that he's typing, but he quickly deletes whatever he had typed out and doesn't respond. Tara then pulls up an Instagram story which it almost feels like he linked it to her. Because why would she be following I Beatrix? I don't know. It's it's I, f- I feel like maybe she's following Riven and Riven linked it, like shared it. I don't know how Instagram works. Yeah, I don't know how it works either. Or maybe she's Somehow Tara is seeing this. Maybe she's like hate stalking uh beatrix's page <laughs> like look at her she thinks she's all that i'm or maybe she's trying to keep riven from getting too big in his bridges i don't know also a fun thing i noticed when i paused beatrix's instagram handle is tricks and treat i need all of their Instagram handles. I need to know all of them. Um, I've looked at most of them. They're all private, fake instas. I don't... I just want to know their names. I know Bloomerang is funny. 
the video itself is a very drunk and very high Dane Riven. Dane asks Riven to shotgun him, and Riven asks about Dane's girlfriend, the, quote, weird fat girl who loves plants and brownies. Dane says that she can go screw a flower, and the three of them laugh before doing a three-way shotgun that turns into a full-on three-way kiss. So, yup, they are definitely all dating. Uh... Well, honestly, the way I think this breaks down is Riven is dating Beatrix and Dane. Oh, no. And Dane is dating Riven, but not Beatrix. Uh, Tara is pretty obviously heartbroken by this whole thing, and she cries into her pillow. Bloom, who is sitting at the bench under the window in her and Aisha's room, tells Aisha that she'd be proud of her because she went to the stone circle and decided to not summon all of her powers and burn the other world down. She still thinks it might be a valid theory, though, and that she felt the burned one that they took down as a group. She starts to talk about Dowling and Rosalind when Aisha asks her to stop. Bloom apologizes and says they'll talk about it tomorrow, but Aisha says no. She knows Bloom is curious about her birth parents, but asks her if it's possible there's no big conspiracy and that the headmistress of the school was just hiding the teenage pregnancy of a student. Bloom says that there's too many things that she can't explain, and Aisha tells her that any normal fairy would kill to be as much of a natural as Bloom is as magic. When Bloom asks if Aisha is really telling her to be grateful about everything that's happened, Aisha thinks that Bloom should try to be realistic. That's when Bloom breaks it down for Aisha. Being realistic means that her birth mother didn't want her, just looked at her as an infant, and tossed her away. And she's thought about that possibility the second she found out that she was a changeling. She starts to cry as she says she has to believe there's something more going on. And Aisha joins her at the bench and places a gentle hand on Bloom's arm. In Dowling's office, she reveals to Sylvan Harvey that Rosalind was the fairy who left Bloom in the human world. And as... And Silva asks what Dowling told Bloom about Rosalind. As they speak, the camera pans down the hallway in the catacombs to that white wall Beatrix found. Dowling lets them know that she told Bloom Rosalind was dead, and when Ben asks why, she says that Bloom has the potential to be one of the most powerful fairies the other world has ever known, and that if Rosalind is calling to her, there must be a reason, and they can never let Bloom and Rosalind meet. That's when the camera passes through that magic wall and reveals Rosalind floating in stasis. Rosalind in carbonite! Yeah, it turns out your uh, Misa Solo and the Wookiee joke wasn't wrong. <laughs> and I will tell you again, there have been other things you've said that have not been entirely wrong. I can't wait for you to find out. <laughs> I mean, we're halfway through the series at this point. God, the show is so good. Uh, my best was the fight against the burned one, for the record. Uh, I will completely agree with that. That was super cool. Uh, worst is Stella being an emotional parasite. Yeah, that was not super cool. Um, 
I'm not going to be a square. I'm going to agree with you in that. And uh, MVP, I'm giving it to Abby Cowan herself because that girl can't act. Gainesville did something right. <laughs> One of the few good things to come out of Florida. <laughs> Abigail Cowan, Aaron Hansen. The Gold Girls. So because I we didn't do listener questions this time, I have to plug the social. Uh, so if you liked what you heard and you'd like to give us a follow, you can follow us on Twitter at MagicBanksPod. If you have questions or, I don't know, other long-form stuff, you can email us at MagicWinksClubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow us individually, my Twitter is at SonataWaves. You can follow me, Tess, on Twitter, at Pocky Slice. That is Pocky, like the delicious Japanese snack. Slice as in... Slice up a weed brownie? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Join us next time when we reach the... Four out of six. What is that? The 80% mark? No. Four out of six is two out of three. We're two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. So join us next time for uh, as we delve deep into the conspiracy around Rosalind in episode four, Some Wrecked Angel. Oh my. Until next time, meeting adjourned. Open your eyes, open your mind. We are the wings. Someone died in Wings Club? Wait a minute, what? Go. <laughs> what the show? No one can die. Watch the Netflix show, my dude. It gets wild. <laughs>